time now for Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. 3-1 pitch to Colton Wong. Here it comes. And he walked him, and this game is over. Colton Wong, bases loaded, walk. The Cardinals take two of three. They score four in the bottom of the ninth, and they win it 6-5. to five. What a win for St. Louis. On a night that the Cubs lose, the Cardinals win, and they had one out, nobody on, and trailing in the bottom of the ninth. If you had fallen asleep... It happened late, and the Cardinals come back and win that game. It was a really good win for the St. Louis Cardinals. Always love hearing from you. My name is Dan McLaughlin. We have baseball coming up at 1.30. It's a doubleheader with Pittsburgh in town, 65780. The text line is wide open for you. Sean Kelly, the play-by-play voice of the NBA on ESPN, will be my guest coming up. And uh, we'll get into some of the uh, the texts as we go along. So it was a really good win for the St. Louis Cardinals. It'll be KK against Chad Cool in Game 1, Johan Oviedo and Cody Ponce. Cody Ponce is called up from their alternate site, and uh, that is in Game number 2. Both games will be on Fox Sports Midwest. The Cardinals are now 9-6 and six since their return with three series wins out of four. How are they doing it? Three series wins out of four with guys that were quarantined in hotels, guys that were throwing baseballs off of mattresses, guys that didn't have workouts, and then just thrown into a doubleheader against the Chicago White Sox. Love it. Give Mike Schilt, Ali Marmol, give the staff a lot of credit. Give the starting pitching a lot of credit. And I think that's where you have to start when you start looking at this team. So far, in the 15 games since they've come back, Cardinals have used eight different starters. The pitches per game, 28th in Major League Baseball in terms of just how far they go in the game. It's only 69 pitches that they're averaging. So Mike is trying to keep them healthy, only 69. But the ERA right now among the starters is first in baseball, 2.55. So he's kept his relievers in good shape too. And yeah, a few have taken their lumps, but to use as many relievers as he has in as many different ways as he's had, Mike Schilt has Well, he's been right in the middle of the league average, which feels like an accomplishment. Cardinals relievers, 13 used in 15 games. And the ERA right in the middle. And I love it. I think he's done a hell of a job with that. He's kept guys somewhat fresh. Dakota Hudson yesterday, kind of a slow start. You could see he was was struggling a little bit. First couple of innings, but then was able to get through it, and he was able to recover after giving up that home run in the third. Yeah, I think uh, early on I just uh, had a very good fastball hitting team I was facing, and not really landing much off speed. Uh, didn't really have my best stuff, but I uh, kind of just relied on Yachty, navigated me through some stuff, threw a few more changeups than I normally do. Um, but just try to figure it out and uh, do whatever I could to throw up as many zeros as possible and give us a chance. I mean, I've, I felt like it was a matter of time. Our guys were taking good at-bats the whole game, so it was just about grinding it out and uh, trying to do what I can do for the team. Well, he did. And then all of a sudden, Alex Reyes and some of the others came in. Uh, Danny Mack, 618. I don't remember Hudson working that slowly. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit off the air. He was working slowly, but I think that was a part of just him kind of grinding through the start. He just didn't have a real good feel for it, but give him credit. He was able at one point to set down eight in a row, got through it, 
All of a sudden, turned it over to the bullpen. And then speaking of grinding, that's what the offense was able to do. And it set up Mike Schilt and the offense for that comeback. Yeah, absolutely. You know, th- this this rally was predicated upon our good at-bats yesterday. You know, and um, that's one thing you appreciate about at-bats when you grind out at-bats and you have team at-bats. Um, you know, we had a lot of, a lot of quality at-bats yesterday. And, you know, we were in their bullpen relatively early the first game of the series. And then early yesterday, you know, took advantage of the bullpen and, and opened it up a little bit in game one and had opportunities yesterday and, you know, couldn't couldn't get on top of it. Um, but took a lot of tough at-bats, made them work like crazy to bring it home, um, which set us up for today. It does. And I started thinking about the ninth inning. And it was so impressive for many reasons. One, every Cardinal batter came to the plate. Seven of the nine had quality at bats. Edmund and Schrock were the two outs. Both were strikeouts, but both struck out on the seventh pitch of the at bat. Eight pitches, by the way, equals a quality AB. All four runs were scored with two outs. Love to see that. All four runs were scored with two outs. Dylan Carlson had struck out three times prior to his seven-pitch walk. So he had struck out every time, but here's the rookie somehow finding a way. Somehow finding a way with even though the fact that he had struck out three times. And this was only the 15th big league game for that young man. So that's huge. That is huge, and they were able to get to Trevor Rosenthal. So they had to go to Rosie. Did a nice job getting out of the eighth um, with a couple punch outs. But based on wear and tear, and we go out, we just take a lot of quality bats. And Goldie started off with the walk. And, you know, Miller, big swing, obviously, with the double. And then Polly works the walk. And then um, you give a lot of credit to, to Max Schrock's at bat. I mean, that's a that's a big time at bat off the bench and, and really effectively got Rosie out of the game that set the rest of it up. Um, but, you know, that's in the bat I hope was not overlooked, and um, not by us at least. And. And, and, you know, allowed, allowed us to get in the bullpen and Yachty tough at bat and ends up, you know, getting hit, obviously. And then O'Neill, you know, blisters one down to third, gets in the outfield. And, you know, great quality, really under control at bat by Dylan and Colton with the professional at bat to, to walk him literally off. So you're now a third of the way through the season. Third of the way through the season, you got 40 games to go. Who's the offensive MVP so far? I think you got to go with Goldie, 341 average. He's walked in 11 straight. His OPS is huge. How about the starter MVP? Wayno? Got to go Wayno. Got to go Wayno. 19 innings, 332 ERA. The reliever, John Gant, six games, six innings pitched. He's only given up one earned run. The runner-up, I'll go Brad Miller, offensive MVP. He's got 11 driven in since they've come back. He's been outstanding. Dakota Hudson, kind of overlooked. You know, sometimes he grinds through it, as we talked about. Worked slowly last night. So what? 14 and two-thirds innings pitched. And Giovanni Gallegos doesn't get enough credit. Out of the pen, four games, four innings pitched. No earned runs. Getting the job done. Who am I missing, Scotty? Anybody else? Uh, Not that I can think of that have been like a big impact. I think that somebody that I was thinking of for the rotation, 
outside of uh, outside of Adam Wainwright has has honestly been Kim. Like I'm excited to see what he brings today. Agreed. There's been multiple opportunities. You might not look at his numbers and be like, oh yeah, this has definitely been dominant. There was multiple games where you thought maybe he's coming out after the first inning because he struggled. He didn't have good control, but he's pitched out of jams. And then he had a great performance last time he was out there. Picked up a save in game one of the season. Now he's in the rotation. I do like him in the rotation now. Uh, I'm convinced I like him in the rotation better than the bullpen. Excited to see what he's got today. He could probably give you seven innings. And I love the way that he works. He's quick. I hope so. Gets the ball, he goes. I like guys that work like that. Uh, 314, Matheny, terrible use of the pen last night. I would happen to agree. Um, didn't like it one bit. Didn't like what I saw out of the pen. I, you know, went back to back with uh, Stamen, uh, who's a, a hard thrower. That part worked. Ian Kennedy worked. He was going for broke in this series. I don't think there's any question about that. Rosenthal back to back games. I'm not sure Rosenthal's a member of the Royals next week because people are going to want him. They're not going to win, and you can get something for him. Trade deadline is coming up in a handful of days. Uh, 636, really enjoyed the interaction between Yachty and Trevor. I did too. That was fun. If you didn't see it last night, um, (laughs) Rosenthal had said to Jim Hayes, by the way, on a Zoom, he said, the one guy I don't want to face is Yachty. Well, that was the, the matchup potentially with the game on the line, and those two were laughing at each other, which you don't normally see in a major league game. Even if they're the best of friends, former teammates, they just, you know, they're, they're pros. They tried not to do that on the field, but they were laughing at each other. Yachty said, you don't want to face me, and they started laughing. Um, it was kind of cool. It was cool. And those guys enjoyed some great moments together. Uh, 618. Danny, is the uh, Cardinals are the Cardinals going to get an impact bat? I don't see the Cardinals doing anything at the trade deadline. They're still trying to get guys back. They're tr- still trying to get guys off the COVID nineteen list. Um, again, though, still could make a move. Don't know, but I, I don't. I, I just don't see it. I would love to see somebody step up though behind Goldschmidt so the teams do pitch to him. Okay, we're going to go down to the bubble, find out what's happening with the NBA, and we'll visit with Sean Kelly. That's up next on one hundred and one ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. We've had so many great announcers come out of St. Louis and from the area that have gone on to national prominence. And that includes Sean Kelly, who is at ESPN on the national scene. And he joins us now from the bubble He's in the uh, NBA bubble and joins us on 101 ESPN. Sean, always great to hear your voice. How are you? I'm doing well. You're very kind for those words. I appreciate it. Well, tell our fans before I get into what's happening down with the NBA and and everything that's gone on into the uh, last 24 hours, uh, your background in this area in terms of your broadcasting and where you're from. Well, I grew up in Baldwin and uh, went to school at Priory and uh, was there and graduated in uh, 1990. Um, started school in uh, Kirksville, Missouri, and then finished in Carbondale. So then followed that up with a, a little stretch in Columbia, Missouri. So it wasn't until I moved to Louisiana in 2002 that I left the Midwest. But that's where it is. I still have family in St. Louis. I still get back as often as I can, but certainly not enough. And your your roots are in the NBA because you were doing the Pelicans for a number of seasons. So you know all about the NBA. I've been in the NBA since 2004. It was a strange 
circumstance in that, you know, my dream was to, to do college sports. And, and I had moved down from my first quote unquote, you know, lead job in college sports at Tulane University in 02. That was the same year that the Hornets moved from Charlotte. Um, and to, you know, three years after I was at Tulane, then there was a change with the NBA team. And, and that's when they brought me on. I had, I never thought, especially growing up in St. Louis, which is not an NBA city, that I would have a career in the NBA. But that's, that's what happened. And so I've, I've been, you know, basically in the NBA every year since. I was listening to you with PJ Carlissimo uh, the other night. You were doing the blowout game. That was an odd game, by the way. It was an absolute blowout two nights ago. I thought I'd be listening to you last night, and then um, everything has changed. Um, can you describe what the the last twenty four hours have been like down in Orlando and what's happened right now with the NBA? You, you've got boots on the ground. What what's it been like down there? Heavy. I mean, that's the, if you're going to put it into one word, the word is heavy. And it's the complete opposite of what it was at the start of the week. You know, you mentioned the blowout game that we had the other night. Well, two nights prior to that, we had the game in which Luka Doncic hits an overtime buzzer beater from 28 feet out to, to win uh, in a thriller. And so the whole campus was electric, and it was a real great game here in the first round of the playoffs. Um, it even that series up. Uh, and there was a real charge from that play, especially from, you know, a 21-year-old young rising star. Not to mention things have been going very, very well down here. But early in the week, you could start to hear some of the rumblings, uh, whether it be George Hill or um, LeBron James to some extent. But there started, there started to feel there, there was this feeling of heaviness starting to come over the campus with regard to the Jacob Blake situation in Wisconsin. Um, and then you had the Doc Rivers emotional uh, post-game uh, visit with the media after the game that you listened to. Um, there, there was a number of different things. Then, of course, you know, the uh, the vigilante at the protest in Kenosha, Wisconsin. All this seemed to be churning there. And in the meantime, kind of quietly, you had the Raptors and the Celtics talking about perhaps doing something with their second-round game one that was to be played, um, I guess that'd be tonight. Um, and then lo and behold, yesterday is when it all started to, to really boil over and the Milwaukee Bucks took the lead on the thing. And throughout the afternoon, it was just kind of business as usual. And then about four o'clock Eastern, I'm, I'm trying to remember, I was trying to finish up my notes for my game last night. It all hit, you know, at, over there and, and caught the Orlando Magic by surprise. And then, and then the whole thing became very public, as, as you and your listeners know. And from then on, it's, it's been kind of this um, almost quiet at times, but this, this heavy unknown feeling. And the players are meeting right now at this hour. The NBA Board of Governors are meeting separately at this hour. We hope to know more later. But just in the tier that I'm in and the tier that the players are in, the mood seems to be similar. Everybody's very quiet today, um, kind of waiting to see what's next. And that's the big question. And I think that's the players having to provide us that answer, and then we'll see what we're all able to do to either help them, support them. Um, yeah, all those things have to be decided upon. Will you give us an idea of the different tiers? So are you separate from the players? And, and give us an idea of how the bubble works as, as you're part of the media. You have the players. You've got owners maybe down there. You've got front office personnel. How does the bubble work for the NBA? I'll try and keep it simple. Um, there's there's two colors. There's green and there's yellow. Green is the the innermost bubble. That's players, coaches, um, uh, their staff, and of course the officials. There are a select number of media members there. Mark Spears is kind of leading our coverage of that today from inside the bubble. 
Adrian Wojnarowski uh, obviously is not in that bubble, but is in contact with people there. And then there's the yellow tier. That's the tier that kind of the rest of us are in. It's a little less restrictive um, as far as what we're able to do or not do. Um, but that's where Mike Breen is. That's where I am. That's where the, all the technicians, most of the technicians are that are pulling off these broadcasts and kind of trying to deliver this out to the fans. And we're, we're not able to, I guess, be within 30 feet of anybody on the green tier. So we're very close to each other. I mean, I could look out my hotel run window and see where they are, but yet there is, there is that separation. So you have the two tiers and they work kind of, you know, congruently as we go along and so far so good on the coronavirus side. Um, and, but at the same time, it's also starting to prove to be troublesome for uh, those who have been here for a while. The Paul George story is also significant this week, discussing openly, finally, uh, about some problems with some depression and anxiety due to the isolation of the bubble um, and, the, and the fact that the players and most in that green tier have been away from their family and friends and their comfort uh, things like home, basically, since about July 7th or 8th. So there there are negatives, but for the most part, um, it's worked. And and now we have this new challenge here with us today. What are, what are you allowed to do inside that bubble? What are some of the activities that they do have for the players? I did, I did want to get into that a little bit, too. Yeah, no, the players, the NBA has done a really good job. Um, not only the league office, but then, you know, Chris Paul, who I've, I've known since, well, we were basically rookies together, but I've known Chris a long time. And uh, Chris and, and a few others really worked on how do we, how do we make this to where you don't feel like you're going to go crazy look at the same four hotel room walls. So in that setup over there, they have game rooms and kind of, a, you know, player lounges and they can play golf. They, uh, if they want to play golf, they set aside one of the courses here. Um, each day, and that's an NBA-only course, and so they can go play golf. A lot of them have taken up fishing, of all things. Um, just like everything else at Disney, it's well-stocked. <laughs> um, and so they have those kind of things that are available to them. Uh, on our end of it, there's a golf course here. We can play golf. Um, you know, there's a pool at the hotel, but we're not to leave the area around the hotel unless we're going over to the wide world of sports complex where the arena is. They're very strict about that. Um, and the testing for us is twice a week, whereas the players, I think, are almost tested daily. So um, those are kind of that, those would be the highlights, I guess, of of what's available. I was going to ask you about the testing. Um, what type of testing are you doing? Is it the the testing where you're you're the the saliva test? Are you getting the 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 basic test of uh, where you're getting the swab up the nose? Uh, how how is that working? Our testing here in this tier is what they call mid nasal. So it's not quite the one where they jam it and then tickle the back of your brain with the damn thing. Um, <laughs> but it's also not the saliva test either. It's a mid nasal thing. It's only slightly uncomfortable. It's more of a tickle, um, but it's proven to be very accurate. We do that twice a week in the green tier, the player's bubble. Uh, not only are they tested mid nasal, uh, but they also have the saliva test as well. That's where the NBA, um, in conjunction with their partner, the medical partner, have been able to develop this saliva test that's now been approved by the FDA that you're going to see more and more, uh, perhaps an MLB, certainly the NFL is very serious about it, and it could be something that really helps a lot of folks, not just in the sports world, but even with regard to schools or going back to work. So if there's one positive thing, even if you're not a basketball fan or you don't agree with this idea of us being down here and, and pushing forward, 
one thing that's going to come out of this is a, I don't want to call it a medical breakthrough, but certainly a new aspect of testing that was basically developed here in conjunction with the NBA and their partner uh, that will help the greater population here as we go into the fall. Sean Kelly is our guest, and he is a a terrific play-by-play voice, a national play-by-play voice for uh, ESPN and a St. Louis native, and he's down in the bubble covering the NBA and obviously uh, a lot happening with the the NBA. Um, They're meeting, so right now, what's your gut feeling? What are some of the rumors that are are out there right now in terms of of trying to get back on the floor or if indeed they will get back on the floor? What, What are you hearing right now? I'm hearing that last night was emotional. Um, the, the players met last night after all had cleared the arena. Um, an emotional meeting that saw two of the teams basically say that they don't want to play again, period, and then leave the meeting. Uh, but then, as I understand it, talking to uh, some of my folks over there, uh, that basically Chris Paul and other leaders in the Players Association then reconvened late last night and were together until the early morning hours working on uh, what they're asking for, how do they stay unified moving forward, and what to present at the meeting that is currently going on. Today's meeting includes all of the players here, and as I'm understanding, player reps from those teams that are not here. Um, there seems to be at least a rumble that the majority of the players want to continue. Um, when that will happen, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm doubtful about games today, um, but perhaps a, a resumption tomorrow or even Saturday. Um, but with that said, I think that still the most important thing for them is is to know what exactly they're asking for or right. how to take the impact of what they've done because it's significant and it's powerful and it's loud and and uh, and bring about something from this that will uh, not only have them feel less frustrated about the situation and their I guess their inability to enact swifter changes. Um, but at the same time, also having some perspective, too. And, and I'm wondering if that'll be gained today or if that's going to be something that has to develop a little bit slowly uh, here down in Orlando. Well, you led me into the question and you said it initially, you know, what are they asking for? Is it is it trying to get owners? These are powerful people with big money, big connections and, and trying to get them connected to government officials. Um what, what are they asking for? Any, any ideas, Sean? I think that's part of it, Dan. Uh, you know, I think that the initial push yesterday, because it was Milwaukee, because their downtown is literally, as you know, from being up there, 35 to 40 miles away from Kenosha, you know, they were in their locker room last night as the game is being postponed and trying to make contact with the attorney general in Wisconsin and the lieutenant governor. So for the Milwaukee Bucks, their initial push was to get connected and try and work with government officials in Wisconsin with regard to that that flashpoint that's going on there right now. On a greater scale, though, Dan, I think that a lot of the reason why the players wanted to come here and and resume the season and, and have a postseason was they felt it could be a platform for them to, as you mentioned, whether it be to involve their owners who are well-connected or government officials or just the general public, and that's why Black Lives Matter is across the court. That's why we see the social, social justice messaging on the backs of the jerseys. That's why we see the kneeling at the national anthem uh, as, as their, their form of, uh, I guess, showing unity and, of course, obviously what they're feeling about the state of the country right now. So all those things play into it, and I think a part of the, 
I guess the, the tension here this week was that there has been some frustration amongst those over there that maybe this just hasn't been enough. And the, I, I heard one player say at one point, what are we now willing to give up? It's one thing to have gestures, but what are we willing to give up? Are we willing to give up our livelihood and our pay or, or what? And so that's where they are right now. What more are they wanting to give up in order to enact the social change? And, and I will say this, look, I, I, I'm, I'm an older white man. So in some ways, I will never have the, I can tell you this, I'll never have the influence that they can. They have an influence because of who they are, their social media abilities and whatnot, and they can certainly do that. And at the same time, I think that they're hoping that because of their profile, that they can also um, not leverage, but perhaps um, apply pressure or be able to open conversations that say maybe you and I could not. You have to wonder, though, if they decide not to play, do they lose the platform? So sports is the platform to maybe call for the change. You know what I mean? By by playing sports and having the post-game interview or having an interview with Sean Kelly, that is the platform to get their voice heard, where if they don't play sports, um, they may not have that massive platform that sports provides. Mark Spears and I were texting about that very thing in the middle of the night last night, 1 a.m., whatever time it was. And that is very true. They have this massive platform. They have the media attention here. They have two networks broadcasting their games, and not to mention all the writers and, and other digital outlets. Um, so Mark uh, was you know, basically saying the same thing you are. If, if we do not play here and they go home, do they go home to their homes and we really don't hear from them? Or do we find them out in the streets? working with the public, asking people to register to vote, being activists in their own neighborhoods and towns and cities. Um, that may be more difficult. It, it could be as impactful, I guess, on a much, you know, I guess, local level. But certainly you give that up if you, if you leave the situation here to where your games are on network television um, basically every day and night. So uh, all those things play into it. And I think that they are also pragmatic enough to know that there are financial implications to their decisions as well. I would sure. say this, they're less concerned about that at the moment, but at the same time, I, I would be foolish to think that that would not be in the, in the conversation in some way. If LeBron James says I'm done and um, he's one player just for argument's sake. And he says, I'm gone. I'm I'm out. I'm out of the bubble. I'm I'm going to do what I want to do. Does the NBA shut down just with one guy? That guy, LeBron James. I guess we may find that out today. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a good answer. And I, meaning, and I, I, I guess my point stupid. is, is is yeah. he that powerful in that sport to do that? That that the, well, the sport will, relies on him. I will say this: yesterday, when the Milwaukee Bucks decided they were not going to play, not only did they catch the Orlando Magic a bit by surprise but they caught the rest of the Players Association by surprise, too. There certainly had been discussions, but nobody was ready to say, this is what we're going to do in Milwaukee, you should lead the way. George Hill and the Bucks specifically made the decision themselves to start this thing yesterday afternoon. The, the conversation over here, with all of us getting ready for games and all that, was, look, there are two other games after theirs tonight. I don't see how those teams could play, but until LeBron James weighs in on this deal, we won't know that answer. Well, sure enough, he did on social media in a pretty significant way. Uh, and then, of course, then everybody else followed suit. So um, he has 
more than significant say in how this all goes. He's the highest profile athlete in this sport and maybe every sport right now. Um, and But at the same time, um, I'm not so sure I can answer for the rest of the membership to say that if LeBron James decided to opt out here, that they would all follow or they would move forward in their own direction. There are many other people that are dependent on these games to be played. Networks, for instance, um, TNT, ESPN Radio, ESPN Television. At what point do the do the the Players Association and the NBA have to come to a decision and say we either are going to play or not? Because there's a lot of other people that are dependent on on games being played. I would imagine that is one of the top. Uh, bullet points here that the Board of Governors is discussing at this hour. Um, I will say this. I, in talking to everyone that I have around here, the support for the players and, and what they're hoping to accomplish and how they're going about it has full support right now. Um, all those things can deteriorate or they can be bolstered. We'll see how that plays out. Um, and that's, you know, that's the part of the conversation that really nobody wants to have. It's uncomfortable when you start to throw those things in there. I'm not so sure the networks have a seat at the table uh, in that conversation. This sure. is purely now a board of governors, Adam Silver, and the Players Association. And I'm a little surprised, Dan, and again, I don't know all the circumstances. I'm a little surprised that we haven't heard yet from Adam Silver. He may be waiting until after the board of governors meeting today, or he, if he has a chance then to talk to the Players Association. So the, the one thing that really is going for this league, and Dan, you cover – you know, all kinds of different sports, MLB to college to football and everything else. I would argue, and I'm not just saying this because I'm here with the NBA, I would argue that the NBA has their act together more than anybody else. The uh, ownership and the league office and the Players Association have the best relationship together than any of the other sports. And certainly the Players Association has great leadership um, with Michelle Roberts and, and Chris Paul, too. So if there's any league or Players Association that can find their way uh, I would say that they have the NBA has the best chance. Um, that's a chance, so we'll see how it plays out. Sure. I want to wrap it up with this, and Sean Kelly is my guest, and he is one of the top voices uh, in sports on ESPN Radio. You also are, are trying to gear up for what might be a college football season. Um, and so I'll switch gears here. Are, are you anticipating a college football season? What, what do you think? We're going to have college football? I think we're going to have college football, but I also think we're going to have um, pauses. We're going to have to hit the pause button probably a couple of times, and, and I guess you could almost count yesterday as the first one. Virginia Tech, which has had some problems, uh, moved their opening game from the 12th, I think, to the 26th. So they have already made one schedule change. Um, the, you know, there are games starting this weekend, strangely enough. Um, but the bulk of the season really won't get cranked up until what is now around September 26th. Um, it will be a season unlike any other, and where I normally would be preparing for my first game right now, Dan, and I'd have a schedule for probably most of my fall laid out, I don't have a schedule at the moment. I don't know whether we'll be broadcasting on-site or remotely as of yet, and I don't think college football fully understands um, the challenge they're up against, and it's almost market-to-market market, uh, and league-to-league, conference-to-conference in this case, um, and some of it has to do with even the town that a particular university is in. If you take, say, Baton Rouge, which is an hour away from where I live, um, if they lose all of football, it will be an economic disaster yeah. for Baton Rouge. The Pac-12, who has opted not to play, 
finds most of their schools in perhaps major metropolitan areas, and those challenges are different, and those impacts are different. So all those things play into this. Um, I think because of money, that's one, um, and two, because of the regions where college football perhaps will be played will be the most determining factors of what kind of risk they're willing to take, what kind of inconvenience are they willing to have, and uh, what things maybe are they willing to turn their eyes away from a little bit. All those things play into it. It's 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 exposing a lot of things. And, and Dan, you've seen this yourself. This pandemic and everything else has exposed things that maybe we all kind of knew all along, but in the case of college football, the lack of a central leadership or a commissioner or something um, makes this very difficult. And I don't want to be too cynical here, but part of me does think that this eventually, or this is the big first step to maybe the end of the NCAA as we know it. And perhaps then what I've kind of believed for over 10 years is that eventually the power five may break away and do their own thing. And then the rest will have some semblance of what the NCAA was. So I'm getting way out in front of what you asked me, but that's <laughs> that's the way I feel about it. At the moment. No, it makes sense. And I, I do know this. If you need a spotter, uh, I am available. I'm open for business. <laughs> well, I'm really hoping that you're quite busy now uh, for a long time with our records. So <laughs> I, I'm hoping too. I'll, I'll, I'll get you after that. <laughs> Sounds good. Hey, Sean, I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy down there, and I hope you guys get back to business and uh, and this thing works out. So appreciate your time. You do such a great job, and uh, we'll catch up down the road. Well, Dan, thanks for all the kind words, and, and I really do appreciate you wanting to have me as a part of this conversation today and the greater conversation that we all need to be having this time. You bet. Thanks. Sean Kelly, the voice of the NBA on ESPN. Really an outstanding play-by-play voice and appreciate his time on this uh, Thursday. Again, we have a doubleheader coming up at Bush Stadium. We'll talk more about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Exciting win last night for the St. Louis Cardinals. Now turn the page. Game one of the doubleheader. KK going for the St. Louis Cardinals. Now he has faced the Pirates. That was as a closer. Remember, he closed out the game that Jack Flaherty started and picked up a save. He was knocked around in that game. Kim is the only pitcher this year with a win as a starting pitcher, save as a closer. His breakdown in his previous start, he had six innings, three hits, three strikeouts. Fastball command, he was really good. Reds were one for 11 against his fastball, two for eight against his slider. He had three strikeouts. Back to last night, Colton Wong, he grinded through that final at bat. The Cardinals, well, he said basically their motto is just to grind out pitchers. And, you know, this whole team, um, you know, our whole motto is to grind pitchers out. You know, we want them to be tired. We want them to understand that, you know, they face the St. Louis Cardinals. And um, we've done that, you know, from the get-go, from when we returned. You know, we've been working pitchers, and, um, you know, it's just a great all-around you know, message we're sending to the rest of the league that, you know, no matter who we face, you know, we're going to grind you out. We might not get as much hits or runs, but, you know, you're going to leave this game feeling like you, you know, pitched a full game. So Colton Wong and the Cardinals back in action today, and we're on the air 130 on Fox Sports Midwest. Coming up, it's Ribs and BK. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Ribs and BK, they're coming up, and this could be one of the quicker uh, crossovers we've had. 
Yeah, this will be lightning fast, just like the way I used to skate. Yeah, maybe not. I always thought you were a good skater, man. <laughs> I was. And they put you up on the, you know, at one point you were put up as a forward, man. Yeah, they wanted to boost that offense. <laughs> I'm telling you. Actually, come on. I was told flat out by Joel Quenville, um, we just need you to be a heat-seeking missile. Go out get them. Go get them. Go get them. And I was like, oh, okay. And I go, who's on my line? And he said, uh, we're not, we'll have a rotating center, but Twister's going to play right wing. <laughs> I was like, Release the hounds. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got coming up on the show? Oh, man, so much to talk about in today's world. Danny, you know that. Yep. We're going to definitely talk about the Cardinals. Uh, that's a nice one there for them last night. We're going to have uh, Joey Vitale on today. He's always fun. And we're going to get into some bet it or forget it. And we're just going to have a good time, Danny. Love it. Ribs BK next 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN.